Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's so great to be here. Uh, First up, I want to give a big, warm welcome to three brand new watch team members to the show. Um, Penn Community Bank is going to be hosting a finance watch for us and pioneer Jen Welter, the first coach uh, in the NFL, the first female coach in the NFL, is going to be doing a sports watch segment. And another new watch team member is going to be Munchkin. The global baby brand is going to be coming on board. DB Barnes will be doing a global brand watch for us. So we're very excited to see the show continue to expand. Don't forget to stay with us during our breaks where you'll hear from our watch team members and stay tuned for the launch of our new ones in just a couple weeks. We continue to be grateful for their support and the news and education they bring to the show each week. As we continue to expand, we're always looking for additional corporate partners. So if you're interested in being a part of the show, please email taylor at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And don't forget to download the podcast and sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop on all things regarding the show. So now I am very honored and thrilled to welcome to the show Melissa Bernstein. Melissa is the founder of Melissa and Doug Toy Company, and she is also the author of Lifelines. And we're going to be talking very much about the book and um, how Melissa is really helping an enormous amount of people. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sue. I am so happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. 
Um, it's been a while, and you and I had really, I would say, an incredible conversation the first time we met. And so I, I have some good information, and, and I want to dig in. But I want to give the listeners a sense of um, who you are and where you came from. And I wanted to start off with a quote, um, because I think this truly represents the struggle you were having prior to where you are today. Um, you said, growing up, I was consumed with the purpose of life, why I was put on this earth, what I was meant to do, and if we were ultimately bound to die, what does it matter? I think that's such an incredible question, and I would say that most of humanity struggles with that question on some level. Yeah. Tell uh, tell me at the end of the day, you know, what that what that means to you and how how old were you when you recognized that you were struggling with that? Honestly, it was from my very first recollection. I was struggling with life's meaning from when I was two years old on. And I think when you have such deep, dark, unanswerable questions as a toddler and know that you can't voice them, much less get sort of a, a simple answer to them, it leaves you with a real sense of anguish. And for me, it was this sense that I didn't know what to do to ease the burden of existence and that sense that it might all be in vain. And what was I to do about that? Melissa, would you say that's unusual to have memories of that that far back and that young now, now that you, you have more information about it? It is unusual. You know, many have existential crises at points in their life, usually triggered by the death of someone or the loss of something. So I think many can relate with having it at some point. But yes, to be born with it, it's really part of an overall overexcitability in your central nervous system. And I have this overexcitability that uh, makes me very creative, but also makes me very heady and ponder deep questions that don't necessarily have easy answers. Right. Um, for for the listeners, um, give us the definition of existential depression so that if anyone's listening and they can recognize that in themselves. Sure. I mean, really, it is a crisis of meaning. And one of the fascinating things about it is it's really not a pathological condition. It's not even in the diagnostic and uh, statistical manual for mental disorders. It's literally a philosophical, spiritual condition where you wonder why you're here. And you have these questions of meaning that are truly profound and very, very deep. So, you know, at my lowest, I suffered from existential nihilism, which is the sense that it is all meaningless. And we as individuals have no ability to make meaning in a meaningless existence. That is the lowest point. Uh, but I'm fortunate to ultimately have come out and become an existentialist, which is uh, is a lot more hopeful. So. Let's, uh, this is a big question, but I, you know, what was the, you really struggled. And, and again, I, I do believe that people are on various parts of a scale with relation to depression, anxiety, and even this philosophical um, consumption of, you know, why are we here? When did the light bulb go off for you that turned your thinking? 
That is an amazing question. And thank goodness it did. Uh, but it really came out of sort of the reason I'm here, which is creativity. And, you know, from my earliest recollection, just like I pondered these deep, dark thoughts, I also created from the time I was two. You know, I wrote music, I wrote verses, I uh, incessantly channeled this darkness. But one of the issues was it only channeled into more darkness. You know, everything I wrote, everything I played was incredibly deep and very, very heavy and dark. And because it was so dark, it wasn't able to connect to others and bring my life meaning. So even the creativity that is my innate essence had no meaning because it was just sitting in the dark collecting dust. But when Doug and I, you know, were so fortunate to have met and we started Melissa and Doug, I saw something really profound. And that was the beginning of the change. I saw that I had this ability to channel all this innate anguish into darkness, which I had done my whole life. But likewise, I also had the ability to take that same innate darkness and channel it just as easily into light by just choosing to turn off the dark faucet and turn on the light faucet. And when I saw that there actually might be meaning to this lifelong existential anguish, and I could actually taste, take it and, and sort of form it into these beautiful, tangible toys that were light and bright and had the potential to unleash children's imaginations, it was truly like I had a breathing tube put into my trachea for the very first time, and I knew what it meant to breathe fresh air. Wow. Do you think you would have come to this um, awakening if you had not met Doug? I don't think so. Because, you know, and I do believe in sort of like dots connecting and things happening for a reason. Uh, because because I never even associated with being creative. I never thought I was creative. And in fact, being creative made me so weird that I actually tried my, desperately not to be seen as creative. So I was hiding all that creativity and trying to do what was accepted societally. So if he hadn't given me the courage to take this leap off the treadmill of corporate America and start this business with him and make toys, which I never studied, never did, never thought about doing, I don't think that profound dot would have connected. So it makes me wonder how profound um, it is when we meet certain people that come into our life and say something or wake us up to something. How big is that in transformation? It's everything. And, you know, there's a word in Judaism that we used at our wedding. It's beshert, which sort of means meant to be. And it's kind of like, you know what? Just your stars were aligned and somehow you were meant to meet. And I think, you know, he was meant to give me that courage to express my true authentic self. Mm, I love that. Um, listen, we're going to go into our first break. We will be back with Melissa Bernstein, the founder of the iconic toy brand, Melissa and Doug, and author of Lifeline. Stay with us for our watch team, and we'll be right back. Now, the women to watch, Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Here are some frightening statistics. Without oxygen, brain damage can occur in just four minutes, brain death in eight to 10 minutes, but it could take more than 10 minutes for an ambulance to arrive. This morning on Your Radio Doctor, we spoke with Jim Gretz. 
the manager of Jeff Stat, Jefferson Hospital's Transfer Emergency Service Education Center. He has trained hundreds of paramedics and taught CPR to doctors, nurses, and members of the lay community. What basic skills are needed in an emergency? Keeping the airway open, CPR, a defibrillator if needed, control the hemorrhage, and immobilize the patient if there's a broken bone or spinal cord injury. Sounds pretty straightforward when you're calm and just theorizing, but if you've never had a CPR course, would you know what to do to keep somebody alive till the professionals arrive? If you find someone who's unconscious or passed out, either from a fall, they hit their head, a car accident, maybe they're having a heart attack or stroke, yell for help if you're not alone and call 911. Look at the patient, are they breathing? If they're gasping, that's not breathing, so start CPR. Pump on the chest. The Red Cross and instructors no longer suggest that lay people do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. More important to pump and keep the blood flowing. Turn the patient on his or her side if they're awake. Keep the patient warm. If they try to stand up, don't hold them down. You could hurt them more. And if you see a car accident, don't get out of your car to help. You could be injured on the highway. Just call 911. And if the patient's bleeding from a limb, a by pressure, with anything you have, a belt, a t-shirt, tight above the wound, closer to the body. If someone's choking, you could save a life with the Heimlich Maneuver. Hear the whole show on YourRadioDoctor.com and learn what you should do and what you should not do in an emergency. It could mean the difference between life and death. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined this evening by Melissa Bernstein, again, the founder of Melissa and Doug Toys and author of Lifelines. If you're parents, you're probably very familiar with Melissa's company. Um, I want to share another quote. I almost did my entire draft of questions, just quotes by you, because I think um, they're all so beautiful and enlightening. Um, The most miraculous occurrence of my life was when this mindset regarding the intention of art and poetry became the philosophy I used in creating toys. So tell us about that and and a little bit more about how the company really saved your life. Yeah, it did. Uh, You know, making toys has been my salvation for over three decades, for 30, almost 33 years now, uh, which is pretty amazing because it seems like just yesterday. But yes, you know, one of my rabid needs is to simplify the abstruse, to simplify the complex, and to make really deep, dark questions very simply understood. And that's what I always tried to do, because I was born with these deep, dark questions that were so difficult to voice and understand that I needed to make sense of them. And I made sense of them through these verses that I wrote that are very simple, they rhyme, and they're easy enough that even a child can understand them. Yet I always felt that they weren't good enough because they were so simple Mm -hmm. and they were so complex. Uh, They weren't complex and they weren't heady like other poets. And we had an instance where um, Melissa and Doug, we, we suffered a real setback and Doug and I decided we would actually stop doing toys and choose a second career, choose to go back to school. And I thought, you know what? I want to be a creative writing professor and I want to actually teach creative writing to students. And we applied 
uh, to a graduate program and I sent some of these verses, which I innately wrote from the time I was two. So I had thousands of them. Um, they wow. just that's incredible. That's incredible. That really, you know, at that young, yeah. that yeah, it was so overwhelming, you know, right? But it's overwhelming, and it, yeah. but it's my it was my my body's way of trying to make sense of what was senseless and trying to make meaning from the futility that I live with. So I sent about fifty of these verses to uh, the head of the creative writing department at a not so uh, erudite university, by the way. And I was oh, terribly rejected. In fact, he wrote me a note that said, your poetry is truly sophomoric and not of the caliber our program requires. And that rejection really became, I would say, one of the most um, you know, tragic points of my life because here these verses just came out of me. Like they flowed out of me completely finished. And someone was telling me they were sophomoric. And I didn't even know what that word meant until I looked it up. And unfortunately, that made it even worse. Yeah. It meant stupid, <laughs> foolish, silly, dumb, like anything you could imagine. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I, that yeah. one word just, um, just tormented me. And what it did, it shows the power of words and of people's uh, judgments of you. I stopped writing my verses for the next close to 30 years because wow. of that one wow. person. Wow. But my philosophy, which is that art and poetry and toys and anything that a user engages with needs to be beautifully simple so that the experience of engaging with it becomes everything and it, as impactful as it can be. And fascinatingly, I channeled that same philosophy because I wasn't writing the verses, which were my lifelines and had saved my life too, um, I, I channeled that same philosophy into the toys. So although I stopped writing those verses, all that philosophy that, because toys back in the day when we started were really complex. They had bells and whistles and you know instructions. And I felt like that was getting in the way of our heart. It was becoming a head I exercise agree. I agree. and not a heart exercise. Right. And that we try to make things too complex to please our egos, not our souls. So I thought, you know what? Uh, I'm going to channel this, this philosophy that simplicity is the best. And when you interact with a simple toy, an open-ended toy, it allows the child to bring their entire being into that toy and it becomes whatever their imagination wants it to mm. be. So I was so honored that we ended up selling so many millions of toys, close to a billion at this point, uh, because that philosophy, w when it was rejected, it, it literally almost took me down with it because I believed that I was being rejected as my, my soul. So the fact that the toys um, found their way into people's homes and hearts uh, really gave, gave meaning, again, to that, that, that channel, that source yeah. of creativity. Yeah, I, I actually had written, you said, I passionately believe playing with toys should not require a manual or high degree of intellect. And that's such a simple statement and so true and clearly resonated with millions and millions of people. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to read so your book is full of beautiful poetry and visuals and everyone kind of 
got me in the heart. I'm going to read this one because I think You know it's, what? Can I say one thing too? Yeah. That that instance with being rejected made me I can't even call it poetry anymore because I believe that the word poetry means that an intellectual has to study it and decipher it and and find the message in it. And to me that isn't what mine were supposed to be at all. Mine are, I call them verses I'm, because I, I literally was so stigmatized by that not being seen as a poet that I'm like, okay, I write verses and they're very simple so that you immediately say, I get it. That yeah. makes sense. It's, it's sim- Would you say it's similar to art? So an artist can look at something and say, that's sophomoric, where the artists themselves if it comes from their soul, their you know their being, then it's creative. It's it's whatever it's meant to be, and that's yeah. you know no one can really judge another person's creativity because it's arising from their soul. So yeah. if it's truly just coming through you as a channel, then it, it can't be anything other than looked at in awe. Yeah, let me read this one verse from your your book, and then we'll go into a break. Pain and pleasure are the waves upon a sea of consciousness, while our souls remain serene, immune to surges and distress. I think that's very key in people's ability to to stay even keeled. And I want you to talk about that when we come back. Stay with us and I'll be back with Melissa Bernstein. Our watch team's up next. Now, the women to watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. This year, Sunday, September 26th, is Gold Star Mothers and Military Families Day. The Gold Star enshrines the memory and legacy of their most precious possession their daughter, son, or other family member who made the ultimate sacrifice in defense of our nation. As we also celebrate National Hispanic Heritage Month, recognizing Hispanic Americans' positive influence and enrichment of our nation, I'm... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm reminded of our Comcast NBC Universal teammate, Cynthia Garcia. Cynthia tragically lost her son, Corporal Adam Garcia, who died from wounds he had sustained by enemy fire in Iraq. As a family dedicated to the service of others, Cynthia turned her family's pain into action. After Adam's passing, the Garcia family partnered with the Fisher House Foundation, a nonprofit that provides comfort homes for families to stay free of charge as their service member or veteran loved one receives medical care at a VA or DOD hospitals. This partnership, called Adam's Corner, sets up a library and play area for young children at Fisher Houses across the country. Cynthia's mission is to continue her son's legacy by providing a comfortable home away from home for military kids. The Garcia's family's resilience and character made a huge impact on our military community at Comcast NBC Universal. 
Today, our Veterans Network Employee Resource Group, or ERG, maintains numerous Adams Corners throughout the country. Since the Revolutionary War, the Hispanic community has proudly served our nation, and Corporal Adam Garcia is an example of how one person can impact thousands. Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Welcome back to the show. This evening, I'm joined by Melissa Bernstein, again, the founder of Melissa and Doug Toys, but also the author of Lifelines. And just to recap, um, Melissa struggled for 30 years, a very, very long time with severe, severe depression and is on the other side, I'll say. And I think, Melissa, your courage to come out publicly I have such respect for. That's a really, really hard thing to do, um, especially when you're already a public um, person, successful, and then you share something that's so very personal. Um, just before the break, we were talking about that ability to kind of um, really connect more with uh, the, the, the soul. I'll say everyone has a different word for that, but um, and, and get out of our heads. How did you manage to do it? So doing that, that's an amazing question, became my life goal. And in fact, I'll I'll share another verse, which is my mantra every single day, which is step on out of the head, moving into the heart, free to channel all dread into jubilant art. And that is my life mantra, which Mm. is, you know, our heads, all of us, whether we are existentially depressed or just coasting along, our heads are a prison. You know, for the most part, our heads do nothing but bring us to the past and regretting the past and lamenting all the things that could have been or planning for the future. And actually, that's pleasure and pain, the verse you you read before. Both pain and pleasure are completely in our heads. You know, and we cling to pleasure and we resist pain and we feel that suffering in our heads. So if we can somehow find ways to get out of that head and into our heart. I mean, my heart is pure boundlessness. It's pure liberation and it's pure creative expression. When I'm in my heart, literally, there is nothing but intoxication. So, and I feel it every single time I create. So I know it's possible for me to get there. It just becomes a daily deliberate practice to untether and detach from those thoughts and ground yourself in being right here and now. That's hard. And I I equate it to when you have a song stuck in your head, which happens to me every day, all day long, because I love music. And whatever that last melody was, it's in my head over and over and over. Is there anything tangible you can say? Because I think it is hard to tell someone how to do it to get out of their head. Anything that will kind of be a light bulb moment for them. Oh, yes. So, you know, once I took my arduous journey within and finally accepted myself in totality, which took about five years uh, because I 
had these thoughts I was having were so deep and dark that I ultimately ended up, the only reason I am here today is because I disassociated from everything I felt uh, because it was, it was telling me to end my life, my, my head. So I could only anchor to things that made those thoughts go away. And I did. I raced my entire life away from who I was and those thoughts. But ultimately, I was exhausted. I couldn't keep racing. I had reached middle age and I was like, if I keep denying that inner voice and, and not and don't have the courage to face the existential nihilism that is at the core of my being, I will never rest easy. I will be racing away you know, for the next however long I'm here. So I made this journey. I went inside. And part of the realization was if I am going to accept myself in totality as a full emotional spectrum from the existential nihilism at the low to the intoxication of creation at the high, I'm going to need something to tether me to the here and now. Because someone like me, who is so overreactive and so overexcitable, and I have a heightened arousal of my central nervous system that allows me to imagine anything and create, but it also can get me down to the depths of despair, I would need a daily deliberate practice to not fly off into the clouds, into the bliss of create creativity, or into the the depths of desolation in the existential nihilism. So that became a practice. That is my daily practice. And one of the um, core buckets in that practice is equanimity. And how do I gain equanimity when I'm stuck in my head? Very simply, it's through sensory engagement. Anytime, so we have these five extraordinary senses, all of us, and yet, because we're stuck in our heads 90% of the time, we become desensitized, right? And we're in, when you're in your head, you're not engaged in the moment. You're not engaged in any senses. So when we can do something as simple as smelling something that is intoxicating, I love floral and citrus scents. If I smell something, I'm immediately like, whew, that, I'm, I'm out of my head. Mm. When I taste something, especially like something sour, like, woo, you know, you squeeze a lemon, you are not thinking about what you were just thinking about. If I'm in nature and I'm listening to the sounds of the, the birds or the wind rustling through the trees, I'm absolutely untethered from my head. So the more we can be mindful, that's called mindfulness, where whatever you're doing, you enjoy the sensory experience of it. And it's a practice because we are always in our heads. Yeah. If you can practice using the senses to come back home to yourself, and then once you're back home, you get rid of them. It's like you use the ladder to climb to the roof, but once you're on the roof, you don't need the ladder anymore. So you don't wanna to cling to the senses once you're home because then you are, if you're clinging to that song, then you're distracted and you're not in the moment, you're, you're back in your head. But if you use them purely as the pathway home, then they just become this beautiful aid. And once you're home, you can just close your eyes or be and just be here experiencing every moment. Melissa, how, how afraid were you to come out publicly with your story? Did did your desire to do that, was it also because um, another big part of meaning for you in your life is helping others out, in addition to the creativity that you that you do? Yeah, that's a that's an awesome question. 
you know, my desire to share my own revelations was so great because I had been stuck in the dark for 50 years. Literally, I had no idea who I was. I had no idea that the that I had this blurse, I call it, that the the curse that made me despise myself and want to end my life at so many points was actually the reason I could create and actually my blessing. So it was this blurse. Um, and, you know, when I realized that, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many other deep, soulful creatives out there that want to end their lives because they they can hardly live within their bodies, mm-hmm. yet this is their gift. And I was so impelled to share it that it didn't matter what anyone thought anymore. I was doing it no matter what. Yeah. Um, we're going to go into our last break. And when we come back, I, I want to give you the opportunity to really tell our listeners what you're doing with Lifelines, how, how that can help them. And I also want to talk about your family. You're also the mom of six kids, by the way. Um, stay with us for our watch team. And I'll be back with Melissa Bernstein, the founder of Melissa and Doug Toys and the author of Lifelines. We'll be right back. Women to watch. Sports watch. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Jen Welker, and you are listening to Sports Watch. Moms and dads, it is important to realize that it's not the same for a girl to dream some of these things as it is for a boy because, first of all, a lot of the times those girls don't see those dreams um, reflected in the world through the lens the same way that boys do. Right? We tell a girl she can do anything or be anything. But then the world shows her something very different, particularly in the world of sports. Um, you know, it's a, a known barrier that 4% of traditional media coverage goes to uh, women's sports versus men's sports. So let's say, you know, you tell your daughter she has the same opportunities in sports as the boys do, but then she can't see herself or someone who looks like her or someone playing her sport on TV as easily as she might see it for a boy. She looks at the storylines in movies, doesn't see herself reflected in the same kind of big blockbusters as the boys. She plays video games and doesn't see herself as a playable character. And so it's not going to happen the same way in terms of just normal socialization where she gets to just fall into those examples of women who are doing what it is that she wants to do. Follow me and all my adventures, or you could say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Melissa Bernstein, the founder of Melissa and Doug Toys. Uh, And Melissa has just really stepped out in a huge public way to share her life story, and it's helping millions of people. Um, Melissa, tell our listeners what Lifelines is all about and, and what you're doing, the workshops, and how people can get involved if they choose to. Sure. So Lifelines was born out of my own experience, you know, growing up and never feeling that I belonged here and that I was truly from another planet and had been dropped here and like basically (laughs) left without anything other than, well, try your best to make it here. And I (laughs) 
struggled <laughs> almost in vain my entire life. I still struggle at many points. Um, so I did not want others to have to go through what I went through because it was it was really bad. Um, so uh, Lifelines is based on a few premises, one being that you are not alone. Because when I finally shared who I truly was, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm actually not alone. In right. fact, there are so many of us who feel right. the exact same way. Um, That's and always that was a good feeling. That's support, yes, right? Yeah, it was, but it happened so late. I was like, why didn't I realize this 30 years ago? Like I, um, you know, and that was really, that made, made me feel really sad. And I didn't want others to have to go through what I had gone through. Then the second um, really core sort of tenet is that we all have this capacity to channel our darkness into light and make meaning. And for me, you know, when you believe you're in prison, you're in prison. And when you believe you're free, you're free. And the incredible thing is the door is always open. We just don't believe it such because our mind tells us such lies and tells us that it's closed and we're stuck. So when I saw that I had this capacity within to channel this incredible despair into light, it was like, oh my gosh. And that is the meaning of existentialism. It is taking responsibility for making meaning in your life and realizing that unfortunately, it can't come from out there, can't come from external. It has to come from within. And we all have to get to that point where the fear of doing uh, nothing and leaving our legacy not, you know, having made the meaning we want exceeds the fear in taking action and making change. Mm -hmm. And I think so many of us are so terrified of taking responsibility for our lives and failing that we'd rather do nothing. And I wanted to show others that they can't do nothing. They have to try. And that's tough because, you know, I have this fix-it mentality and there are many who want to wallow and who aren't ready to make the change and want to blame the world. And I get it. I was there. So I did that for a long time until I realized that, you know what, I can't blame anyone but myself. So I think I love folks when they're at that, that point at which they're ready, they're terrified. Um, but I call it exilified. You know, they're exhilarated about the potential to make change, but they're terrified about what might happen. That's where you want to be every day of your life. Um, so we love talking people through these uh, obstacles to making meaning and helping them make meaning. And then we also believe that, you know, all of us have to make that journey within and really ultimately accept ourselves in totality. And because my whole life, I didn't accept who I was and I was trying to be everything I wasn't and couldn't be. It was a, a futile act, right? I was never gonna be like a five foot 11 Barbie that I wanted to be physically. I was never gonna be a star athlete that I wanted to be. Like I wanted, to, I was never gonna be perfect and get A plus on every single thing I did. So I was always in anguish because I didn't like who I was and was trying to be someone else. So ultimately, all we got is ourselves. We got to make that journey inward, accept ourselves in totality. And then once we do realize that living a meaningful life is about a daily practice to stay out of our heads and in our hearts. And that also is a big obligation. Engaging in a practice takes time and it's a commitment. And there are days when it's tough. But if you don't 
engage in a deliberate practice, you will ultimately fall victim to something. Even if you're coasting and life seems amazing today, we all suffer challenges. We all suffer setbacks. And if you have this lifeline, this anchor to cling to, it will bring you back home again and again and again and allow you the resilience to get through life's ups and downs. Melissa, I would imagine that what you're doing has been an incredible example for your children. You have six children. And first of all, do you see any of what you struggled with in any of your children? And if so, do you think that they will be able to manage it, um, I'll say, better, quicker, easier because of, you know, your ability to overcome? That's a good one. And I think having six children, uh, yes, I have the full spectrum, actually. You know, I have a couple who are literally equanimous and very happy-go-lucky in the middle. And I just, oh, I am so envious of them. Yeah. And unfortunately, I have a couple who are a chip off the old block. And, and take after me. And I think my hardest lesson to learn, and it might be the, the hardest lesson of all parents, is I've learned so many incredible lessons. I want them to shortcut the, the, tra- the trauma and the wallowing and just get to my lessons and see the light. And I can't take them there. And as much as I want to, and I know what is right in the end, Unfortunately, they have to walk their own path and their own path involves a lot of suffering. And that has been so challenging for me to be able to watch their roller coaster ride Mm. and not get right on it with them. Um, I'm very prone to getting right on it and and saying, you got to buckle up, you got to do all these things. (laughs) And I'm learning part of my practice is to be okay with them suffering and taking their own roller coaster rides, not knowing where it might end up. Uh, That's hard. It's been a challenge. That's hard. I, I, my hope is that you, when you were going through it, you felt very alone. You thought you were the only one. They now have the knowledge that they're not. True. Right. So, and and there's so much open conversation today around different mental um, illnesses because it's just like any other illness. Exactly. It yeah. is. I mean, it's just like you know having a, a skin condition. I Correct. Mean, it's just a condition that once we accept. We can take measures to live bountiful, beautiful lives with them. Yeah. Well, listen, I um, I so appreciate your coming on the show and, and talking so openly and transparent about what you've been through. And um, we will be sharing all the information with our, our listeners. And I just wish you such continued success and joy in your full, full life. Aww. Thank you so much for sharing my story. And we welcome anyone who feels alone. All our resources are free. So please join us. Good point. Thank you. That is it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my conversation with journalist and author Gail Lemon. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.